You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. Welcome to Riverview Church Online. It's great to be able to be here and share with you this morning. This is actually the final message in our Authentic Abundance series. We've been looking at that account in John's Gospel where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or in abundance. And if you haven't caught up with the previous three messages, they can be found in our video section on Facebook here or on YouTube or on your favourite podcast now, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter six, uh, chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin will destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where those moths and vermin cannot uh, damage and where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now today I actually want to start with the conclusion and that is that all joy and all satisfaction and all abundance and beauty that is if you like treasure that the very best that we could possibly experience the more than we could ask for or imagine is found in Jesus Christ and and not simply as a promise of treasure that we're kind of waiting for in the by and by, but accessible, available and abundant right now. His life here in us abundantly now. And if you don't know that yet, if you find that you're not experiencing that in some measure of frustration, perhaps, if you're still battling with the day to day or the months of mundane, the years of yearning or the seasons of sorrow, then let me tell you, you are not alone. It's because we are on a journey of learning, of maturing and of character transformation that requires trust-filled forward motion, not looking back to where we were, but looking forward to where he is leading. And it's because now we see as though through a glass darkly, you know, even though we don't see it, we know he's working. We sing that and that's the application of our faith to our circumstances. And it's because we are fragile, broken vessels, like kind of broken clay vases, but we carry this treasure of unimaginable beauty and value. Uh, the purpose, in fact, of our chips and our cracks and our broken bits is actually to reveal him, to reveal his light, to reveal his greatness, his strength, his goodness and his perfection. Now, I know from experience in my own life that the more I move toward him in my day to day, the more settled and secure and confident I become, the more I grow and I mature and the more I understand, the more I find peace and joy and fulfillment and the less I kind of try to hang on to my own preferences. And as a result of all of this, uh, the enjoyment of and the pull of sin is lessened in my life as I move toward him. But as I move toward the treasures and the cares of this world, 
the, the more vulnerable I become, the more fragile my faith becomes, the more likely I am to yield to temptation. I become less able to find peace or experience joy, less able to find motivation to be willing to grow. I, I, I feel very quickly less secure and I doubt more. I become more affected by what other people think and I dig my heels in more about what I want. And then I start to place unreasonable expectations upon myself or upon other people around me. And that then leaves me open to the bitterness of feeling let down by others or the guilt of feeling that I myself have let others down or have let myself down. Now, all too often when that happens, I don't even recognise that slow fade. It's not like one day I'm hot and then the next day I'm cold. It's more like death by a thousand cuts, more like separation from God by a thousand tiny steps away from him. Now, let me ask you some challenging questions. Where are you seeking your treasure today? Is your heart seeking him first? Or are you concerned with the things around you right now in our circumstances? Are his things important to us? Or do we prefer what the world has on offer? Do, do we love his words and seek to understand them as he intends us to? Or are we satisfied to apply our own thoughts and opinions and logic to what he says? Do I hunger and thirst for him, for, for his righteousness? Do I seek first or am I content with the things of this world that I already have? Do I believe that the treasure of him, of his presence, is better than the best that the world has to offer? You know, the problem with the prosperity gospel, and I know I mention this a lot, but the problem is that it's all its focus on health and security and material wealth is vastly selling short the real treasure. It's, it's not that I think the prosperity gospel is too lavish. I think that it's a poor substitute for what is actually on the table. I think it's poverty that it's chasing rather than the riches that are available in Christ. You know, it's not that God does not want you to do well or have a good life or have more than enough. He, he wants us to have more than the enough that we keep trying to grab at. It's not that God doesn't want us to be materially rich and secure, but that these riches that we chase after are an impoverished substitute for the real treasure that he is offering. Everything that we can achieve or accumulate or hoard in this life is ultimately insecure, impermanent, unsatisfying, unfulfilling and underwhelming. So to pursue all of that is to miss out on the greater thing. Now, if you consider yourself poor, you may well find that you are richer than you could possibly imagine, like dining with the king at the choicest of banquets. But if you consider yourself to be rich, you may well find that you are in desperate poverty, scrabbling to collect the spiritual crumbs around you, but too proud to put them in your mouth. Now, we're going to turn to scripture this morning. We're going to look at Revelation 3 verses 14 to 20. 
while you go there. This was a letter to the church in Laodicea. Uh, and though John the disciple actually wrote it down, it was a dictation. It was from Jesus who describes himself there as the amen, the, the one who is both faithful and true. So in other words, he's saying he is able to lay bare all pretense and falsehood and hypocrisy, able to reveal to us that slow fade that we ourselves are blind to. Now, this is one of seven letters to seven churches found in the first three chapters of Revelation. And each of these seven letters, every single one of them starts with the statement, I know. He is able to see the true state of every church and of every believer. He is able to unveil the real picture in the church and there is no hiding from him. In Ephesus or to the church in Ephesus, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. To Smyrna, he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. To Pergamum, he says, I know where you live. It's basically Satan's territory, a dangerous place, and yet you remain true to my name. To Thratera, he says, I know your deeds, love, faith, service, and perseverance. And to Sardis, he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Ouch. To Philadelphia, he says, I know your deeds. I know that you have little strength. And yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. And by the way, this morning, if you feel that you are of little strength, that you are hanging on by the, by the faintest of margins or, or holding on to the tiniest, thinnest of threads, you know, a bruised reed, he will not break. He is not going to push you out or snuff you out because you are holding on with everything you have, even though you have little strength. And then we get to Laodicea and he says, I know your deeds. I know that you're neither cold nor hot. You claim wealth, you claim wisdom, but you are poor, blind, naked, and ultimately lukewarm. So let's have a look at this. Revelation 3, 14 to 20. To the, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the true and faithful witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, but you do not realise that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And I just want you to consider at this point, is Jesus at your front door making a noise this morning? A couple of points about Laodicea. Firstly, it was a, a place of 
it was famous for commercial success, for financial success. It had a, a great clothing industry, and its local eye salve was used throughout the known world. It was a, a rich society that valued prosperity and material comfort. It was not in need. It, it was not dependent upon anyone or anything, and perhaps even viewed dependence as some kind of weakness. I mean, does that sound familiar to you? I mean, wouldn't people rather be self-sufficient, not needing to depend upon friends and neighbours or even family? I mean, that can be embarrassing. It's like admitting that we are not enough on our own or that we don't have enough or perhaps we're not really willing to acknowledge weakness or accept help or admit deficiency. Remember, though, at the stage that Jesus though he's observing this society around them and commenting on it, really he's not critiquing the society, he's critiquing the church themselves. Uh, and therefore, this shows the great danger for the church in playing, uh, placing too much emphasis on the security from the material world and from taking on the values and the bad habits of the society around us. We don't want to assimilate, we want to be counter cultural. We don't just want to replicate culture in a different way. We want to be utterly different. And so rich, well-dressed, respected, visionary Laodiceans, yet spiritually speaking, they were poor, wretched, pitiful, naked, and blind, arrogant, and full of pride, and full of self-congratulation. And Jesus is pointing out something to them that they are unable to see. They are blind to it. They are blind because they are self-sufficient. We are rich. We've acquired wealth. We're successful. We don't need your help. Thank you very much. You know, listen, self-sufficiency will block our view of God like conjunctivitis. And it is twice as infectious. You know, maybe sometimes we don't see God because all we can see are our own achievements or our own desires or preferences. And because our eyes are so full of other things and ultimately we don't really need him, or at least so we think. We have security, we have medical achievement, we have entertainment, we have properties and finances. What could God give us that we don't already have? You know, self Focus is the quickest way for us to turn our eyes from him. Self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-adequacy are chains to the life of faith. Self-promotion and self-congratulation are inhibitors of his life being glorified in us. And self-interest and self-satisfaction are blockers to the authentically abundant life that he offers us. The other thing to note about Laodicea was that it was famous for having these amazing hot springs near the city that poured out great streams of hot water. And this hot water was considered to have great healing properties. And so people would come to the source, the, to the source of the spring to drink the hot water in the hope of healing. But as the water flowed further from the source, it cooled down and became lukewarm, losing its healing power. And so now, as a drink, it is utterly useless, or, or worse, it's actually 
unpleasant to drink. I mean, even beyond the belief about the healing properties in the water, if the water was hot, you could have a hot drink on a cold day. And if it was cold, you could have a cold, refreshing drink on a hot day. But lukewarm water had no benefit whatsoever. It's like when you're thirsty and all you have available to you is that half-drunk bottle of water that's been sat in your car for the last three weeks. I mean, nasty. It's, it's almost better not to have it and to wait until you can get something that is genuinely going to refresh you. And so what Jesus was saying to the church in Laodicea was that it had moved from the source we talked about positioning a couple of weeks ago, and here it is. The church has moved from the source and as a consequence was lukewarm, ineffective, unbeneficial, and unpleasant. And they were not opposed to God. They were not against the gospel, but there was no fire of enthusiasm or spiritual energy within them. They were half alive, living, but not in authentic abundance, kind of like that lavender plant from a couple of weeks ago. And you know, lukewarm occurs in our lives when we move away from the source, and it's actually more dangerous than being cold for a Christian, because cold Christians are often painfully aware. They're able to recognize their temperature and they're able to repent. Whereas lukewarm is a slow fade that is imperceptible in the moment to us if we are the ones who are lukewarm. If you see a child grow, if you are with them day to day, you will not see them grow. It's only when you go away and come back a year later that you see that that child has grown. And with lukewarmness, it is only the measure of time that really reveals to us how far we have moved from that source. You know, the Laodiceans thought they were fine. They thought they were doing enough. They believed they were hot enough. And it reminds me of the ones that go up to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this for you in your name? And yet Jesus says, I am about to spit you out. The taste of you in my mouth is unpleasant. Such an uncomfortable truth. You know, I try to imagine myself sat in that Laodicean church when that letter was being read out. And I can kind of picture myself sort of shrinking down in the seat, like, please don't look at me while you're saying that, because it's just awkward. I want to hide. But equally, I could also picture myself in that same Laodicean church as that's being read out, sitting bolt upright and staring across the room to somebody else who I think actually really needs to hear that message. Oh Lord, please speak to so-and-so today. You know, actually I need to hear it for myself. It, isn't it so uncomfortable when somebody truthful points out something in our lives, in our character, in our behaviour, in our ethics, that we were unaware of or blind to. And when we experience the challenge and conviction of a holy God, it can be painful. It can be a fearful thing. And yet it's still a kindness, you know, a rebuke and a discipline, as we talked about last week, from one who loves us is a good thing. So if you are challenged today, like at a soul level, then rejoice 
he loves you enough to speak a harsh word that heals. You know, hatred points out an error for cruelty, for self-elevation with, with no solution, no kindness uh, and no assistance. But love points out an error and God's love points out error and leads us along the road to reconciliation and provides all that we need for that journey. So back to Laodicea. Ultimately, Jesus is telling them that they are seeking their treasure in the wrong place. He, he also tells them that they need to rectify that, but he also defines how by pointing out what the real treasure is. Now, notice Jesus' counsel to them is not to renounce or to run away and hide from the things like the riches, etc., but to buy the better thing from him. I counsel you to purchase from me true wealth. He is the wonderful counsellor and it would be wise to listen, wouldn't we? What is that wealth that he is offering? Well, here it is. Gold refined in the fire, already purified. The imperfections and impurities already removed, burned up, leaving a pure, real deal with no imitation or gimmick in it. And this gold is Jesus. It's the life that he lived, his life lived on our behalf, purified through the death that we should have died. Our sinful lives purified through the death of him who knew no sin, yet became sin for us. The other thing he says to purchase is white clothes of his righteousness. You know, justified not by our works of righteousness, for they are filthy rags, but by his grace, clothed in spotless royal robes that we are entirely undeserving of, removing from us our, our nakedness and our shame. And then I solve to heal our spiritual blindness, to enable us to see the reality of who he is and of what his purposes and priorities are. That our eyes are open to the will of the Lord for our lives and for the society around us. You know, there's a lot of very religious people who have gunked up eyes, but Jesus offers the salve to clean that right up. Now, how do we purchase these things? We purchase these from him through faith, by grace, ongoing trust in and dependence upon Christ and his freely given gift of life to us. If we confess with our mouths the lordship of Jesus and if we believe in our hearts of his resurrection from the dead, that is the purchasing for us from him of that abundant life, his life, his righteousness, his perspective, that is the real treasure. That is the life in abundance. It is treasure that lasts. It is imperishable. It cannot be killed. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be destroyed. And everything else is rags and rust. But knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. 
You know, church, I want to tell you today, it is worth selling up for. It is worth abandoning ourselves to him for. It is worth our complete and total surrender. It is worth all of the suffering and all of the waiting because it is achieving for us something. And we are already receiving the end result, which is the salvation of our souls. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter 1, 6 to 9. He says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer all kinds of trials. These things have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy, a glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So as I wrap up this message, and as I indeed wrap up this entire series, let me repeat all joy and satisfaction, and abundance, and beauty, all treasure, the very best that we could possibly experience, the more than we could ask for or imagine, is found in Jesus Christ and the life that he gives us. And not simply a promise of treasure in the by and by that we're waiting for, but impactful, accessible, available, and abundant right now, today, as you live and breathe. Authentic, abundant life in Christ is is more secure than financial abundance. Even Jeff Bezos, the Amazon founder, with his level of financial abundance, you know, he might not be able to outspend his wealth during his lifetime. He will still die just like the rest of us, and take none of that with him. You know, authentic, abundant life in Christ is is more lasting than physical health because we all live in bodies that will ultimately fail, like that grass and the flowers of the field. We will wither and fade and our beauty will diminish. Authentic life in Christ is more satisfying than anything that exists within the four corners of this world. And it means that every trial, in every trial, because of the life that Jesus has credited to me, I can go sit before a good father and listen to him until my mind finds peace, my soul finds rest and my heart swells with joy. And I can do that as many times as I need to on a daily basis. You know, authentic life, abundant life in Christ ensures that every trial, every storm and every discomfort is achieving something for me and the authentic abundant life helps me endure through all of those things. Authentic abundance in Christ is the better thing. So I'll leave you with this. Until I pursue everything in Christ, I pursue everything in vain. Now, if Jesus is knocking at the door today, some might find that interrupting inconvenient or even uncomfortable. Maybe like you're in the middle of a movie and someone's at the door or you've just sat down to a meal and somebody's knocking. Let me tell you it is worth opening the door because at your door there is unimaginable 
treasure. Jesus is at the door. Can you hear him knocking? He will wait patiently, but he won't wait forever. So I just encourage you, if you hear that knock today, open the door. Because until you pursue everything in Christ, you pursue everything in vain. Amen.